Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. I want to show you a Bible verse that is not on any sticky notes, on any makeup mirrors, anywhere. Uh, This will not be quoted at Deeply Rooted. And here it is. I haven't said anything yet. The woman should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says. But hey, there's good news. If there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in the church. If I had a chalkboard and ran my nails across it, I think that might get a better reaction than that verse. And there are several verses like this in the Bible uh, maybe even worse than this. In fact, I, I did a little informal study uh, amongst some of the, uh, the women at the church. I said, hey, what, at face value, like, what's the verse that like, really like, is, feels offensive? That didn't make the list, oddly enough. There are other ones that are apparently worse in their mind. But like, reading verses like this, I mean, I think maybe even for, for all of it, it's like, man, I could, if I had a chalkboard and I just took my fingernails and scratched, that might be more, uh, that might be more, that might be easier to hear. Um, but there are, there are verses in the Bible that at face value uh, make, seem like they make a strong case for why Christianity is anti-woman. So we're going to address that question today. We're in a series called Reply All, where we're taking a look at some of the questions that um, people who are exploring Christianity or new Christians that they have. And this is one of them. And one of the first things I want to say is that context is, is very, very important. So if we say, uh, let's eat Ollie... Um, it's very important to understand the, Ollie's our dog, by the way. It's very important to understand uh, the context, and, and so is punctuation, all right? So if we say, let's eat, comma, Ollie, let's eat Ollie, that's a lot different than let's eat Ollie. And so you need to understand the context, and so um, one of the things that's going to help you as you read the Bible is that here's my advice to you. I want you to never read a Bible verse, Never read a Bible verse alone. You need to read at least a chapter, probably the entire book, and it would be really helpful if you understood the culture and the context for what is written, and even better if you understood the entire flow and theme of Scripture from creation, fall, redemption to the consummation uh, of all things, uh, uh, meaning always flows top down from the larger units to the smaller units, and scripture is the same way. So, with that in mind, um, let's go to the beginning in Genesis 1:27. Uh, we'll come back to 1 Corinthians 33, and, and I will um, help help us with that. But in verse 27 of Genesis 1, page 1 of your Bible, so God created man, that is mankind, the name for the human race, in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Men and women have value because God says so. Um, he answered that question and on page 1 on your Bible, and it's a value that's not derived from our utility, but our being. Now, this is really important to understand, um, and, and something that the church 
um, has tried to recapture. So like when you read other writings of Paul, like 1 Corinthians 12, it says that the church is like a body and we all have the same goal and we all have different parts. All parts of the body are, have equal value. And we're like, yeah, that's right, except we don't believe it. We believe that there are certain people in the church who are more important than others. My guess is that you think the person holding the microphone is more important than others. Except God doesn't think that. What happened? Well, we're going to talk about what happened. So, but let me continue. We all have shared value from God and shared responsibility. We see, we see that in verse 26, which we didn't read, but we will see it in verse 28, which we will read. And it says, and God blessed them and God gave them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and Ollie uh, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Adam and Eve and male and female were given shared responsibility to take care of what God created. There is no indication in any fashion whatsoever of any sort of hierarchy or one's better than the other. This was an incredible time of, of man and woman living mutual, mutually in perfect community with each other. It didn't last long, but it was an amazing time serving and loving God as equal image bearers. God's original design is for man and woman to co-rule and to co-reign in community together with one another to advance the purposes of God on earth together. It's worth noting that as co-rulers, as equal partners, they were side by side. No one was uh, up above in domination and no one was down low in denigration. They were full and equal partners but it doesn't necessarily mean that they played the same functions. There were differences. There were beautiful differences, differences that made them fit for each other, differences that made them suitable for each other. We looked at this verse in Genesis 2.18 a, a few weeks ago, but it's worth reminding of us. Plus, it has a word in there that probably needs some explaining on a sermon like today. It says, and the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And that phrase fit for him is made up of a, a compound Hebrew word that's only used here in the Bible. The first part of that is, is, is key, which means like or same. And the other part of that is naked, which means opposite or against, that men and women are like opposites. So what makes them suitable for each other is that they're like each other. So they're not, you know, one's an animal and one's human, like they're both human, but they're also not like each other. Women are equal, but different. And this was good. Now we'll see here in a minute that something sinister happened. And while men and women in the eyes of God continued to be equal, but different, they would, they would enter a time, and we live in this world now, where men and women were still different, but viewed as unequal based upon those differences. I want you to know that the reason why differences are seen as unequal in our society is because of the fall. See, God created male and female equal value, equal co-reign, co-rule, different, but the same, and it was good. The perspective of heaven is that this is good, and it is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God has not changed, but we did. But before we get to that part, let me help us with this word helper. Um, in our contemporary language, helper often refers to someone doing unskilled work in subordination 
uh, to a more skilled person. That is what typically gets, that's what's meant. Uh, but nothing could be further from the truth in, in the Hebrew language. Uh, the word uh, helper is a word, is a Hebrew word, ezer. Um, and it's used more than 20 times in the Old Testament. And nearly every time it's used, it's used in reference to God himself. So in Psalm 33:20 says, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our ezer, our shield. He is our, he's our helper. Obviously, 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 God is not inferior to those he helps, either positionally or in value. Obviously. In fact, what's going on there, when God, God is doing for us, which we cannot do for ourselves with a power that we do not have. Likewise, when it says that Eve is the helper of Adam, she is not inferior to Adam, not positionally and not in value, but is joining with Adam to co-rule, to co-reign, to do what Adam cannot do with a power that he does not have. God makes male and female co-equal partners who equally but differently reflect the image of God. But then it happened. What happened? Sin happened. With sin. Sin is believing that God isn't after our best and we doubted his goodness and rebelled against his authority. And from that moment on, history went in a completely different direction. And I cannot overestimate the destructive powers that were unleashed because of our sin. Everything that makes you sad. Everything that makes you angry. Everything that you look at the world and say, that should not be that way. Every monsoon and tornado or hurricane in the Gulf Coast is because of this idea that God cannot be trusted. And in fact, when it says they would know good and evil, we, we see those words as being binary, but the way Jewish understand, when they say, when they put two opposites together like that, they're saying the extreme, like you would know everything that is good, that you would know everything. So it's not saying you know good and you know evil. It's saying that you know everything in between. So if it says, you know, black and white, it's saying you know all the colors. If it's saying on one end, you know, as, as good as the Beatles to as bad as the Backstreet Boys, like you know all music. So like it's, when it says opposites, it's saying the fullness of it. So the, the, the lie here is that you, you can be God and that it, and anything, and when, when the life does not make you the center of the universe, then there's a problem. And the response of Adam and Eve to God would be comical if it wasn't so tragic. I mean, pointing fingers and blame shifting, no one taking responsibility. And then and just, it all fractured. Men and women, um, because of the fall of men and women, wherever sin is, there's no longer a blessing but a curse. And so this original purpose to be fruitful and multiply would now be marked by uh, pain and childbirth. The command to subdue the earth would now be accompanied by toil, thorns, and thistles. Everyday survival for, for men and women together would now require sweat, struggle, and suffering. And we see a shift in equality as well. Corruption changes the relationship. A selfish hierarchy between man and woman uh, comes into the picture and replaces the harmony of the original creation. One commentator said this, speaking of the fall, Genesis uh, 16, 17, in that area, far from being a reign of co-equals over the remainder of God's creation, the relationship now becomes a fierce dispute with each party trying to rule the other. The two who once reigned as one attempted 
to rule each other. And if you study ancient history, and I know a lot of us really only know ancient history through our Bibles, and it's in the Bible too, but what you're going to quickly see is that the beauty and goodness of God's perfect creation has now been marred by sin and rebellion. And so um, patriarchy set in. Uh, polygamy became prevalent. Men took as many wives as they wanted to either be servants, property, or whatever. Virgin women were seen as spoils of war. And this was not a result of God's design, but our sin. And here's something that will help you as you read the Bible, and actually as you just look at history and look at the world, is that idolatry and injustice always go together. They're not separate concepts. They are, uh, injustice is the fruit of idolatry. And so it's not like... So wherever, wherever you see men and women putting something above God, you be sure that injustice will flow from that. We will hurt each other. We will demean each other. We will kill each other, which is what happened in the next chapter that we don't have time to get in. But even in this thick cloud of oppression and sin, we see glimpses of hope of God wanting to restore back to what he uh, created, even in the Old Testament. And I wish I could go through all uh, the women that God pointed out, uh, not as exceptions, but people that he called. He called Miriam along with Aaron to lead the people out of Egypt. She was a a prophetess, meaning she spoke for God's word. And, and to be a prophet, I mean, this isn't like the work of some self-proclaimed radical feminist. This is, this is, this is God calling uh, her to be a prophet, to speak on his behalf. And if you don't understand how prophets work in the Old Testament, is there's a way that we could prove whether or not you're from God. Is if what you say comes true, we'll, uh, we'll believe you're a prophet. If it doesn't, we'll just kill you. So there was no self thing. So she was validated by God as a, as a, as a voice and a leader. Uh, Hilda, I mean, she was a prophet. You know, they found, the, the, the king found the book of the law and it was like shoved away back behind some drywall when they were rebuilding the temple. And he's like, oh my gosh, we are so terrible at the law. We, and they weeped and they, who can help us? Well, they, they asked her. They could have asked a lot of prophets. They could have asked Jeremiah, Zephaniah, Nahum, Habakkuk, all really you know, good choices, but they chose her. Esther. Proverbs. Not only is, not only is wisdom personified in the Proverbs as female, that'll, that'll help your marriage, but it, it's also in Proverbs 31, you have this hardworking woman who runs a business and provides for her family. There are many other examples, but this culminates and really gets into the heart of where God wants to bring things back. And he wants to see this reflected in his church. In Joel 2, 28 to 29, he says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. Even on my male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Something new is going to happen. And then Genesis. Jesus enters our world. And everything, I mean, everything changes, including and maybe notably how women are valued, treated and included. It is not an overstatement to say that Jesus undoubtedly was the most significant and leading contributor to the equality of women ever. Not even close it's hard for us to grasp the significance because we just don't know what that world is like. We read in our Bibles, oh, they were in this major city called Ephesus. That must have been like Manhattan. No, no, it was like 
the most strict place um, in the Middle East. Bible movies do not do us any favors to see how men and women, here's, here's a, on The Chosen, I'm watching this, and there's like, you know, a man and a wife, like, oh, they're having this nice little dialogue like they would in 2022. That's not how that would go down. And it, 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 it was all culture. So in this time, Greek poets wrote how women were a source of evil in the world. Greek women, this is the culture, by the way. This, I want you to understand the context to which Jesus came into and eventually the church. Greek women were not allowed to speak in public. Oh, you mean like Socrates and Aristotle and all these amazing people? Yeah, they wouldn't let women speak in public. Roman law placed a wife under the absolute control of her husband, literally had the power of life and death. Could divorce her for going out in public without a veil or burning the toast or whatever. The attitude among Jew, Jewish men was not good. Jewish men would have this prayer where they'd, say, they'd pray that, God, thank you that I'm not a Gentile, a non-believer. Thank you I'm not a Gentile, a woman, or an ignoramus. Daughters grew up in homes where their fathers prayed that prayer. The world that Jesus and ultimately the church was born into did not have equal respect, value, or rights for men and women. To say that the life and ministry of Jesus raged against cultural norms cannot be overstated. Cannot be. For example, Jewish literature said that he that talks much with womankind brings evil upon himself and neglects the study of the law and that last will inherit Gehenna or hell. What does this upstart rabbi named Jesus do? Well, one of the first things he does is he meets a Samaritan woman at Jacob's well, a very, very famous place. This woman was not she was a woman, she was a Samaritan woman, and she was rejected by her own people, and not one, not two, not three, but five husbands. And he didn't simply talk to her, but he talked theology with her. This was absolutely unheard of, which is why in verse 27 of chapter four, the disciples come back and they marveled. Their minds were exploding. Why? because he was talking to a woman. <laughs> no one had the courage to say anything, but they marveled. Check this out. She becomes the first person that Jesus reveals, first human person that he reveals that he is the Messiah. He does not re reveal this first to one of his disciples. He does not re reveal this first to one of his, you know, uh, rabbi friends who are trying to debate, he reveals it to her. And as a side note, he stayed in Samaria for a few days and the, the racial tension between the Jews, or the Jews and the Samaritans were off the charts. I mean, think like deep, you know, in the middle of the Jim Crow era in the deep South. So in one conversation, he smashes religious, racial, and gender prejudice in this moment. Rabbi Levi Ben-Gershon said in this time period, a woman was 
has no more qualities than animals if she even has a brain. This is pop culture. I want you to understand, this was the pop culture of the day. This was the, the common thinking. This was, this was society. This is the way people thought. This was like, duh, this is how people thought. Whoever teaches his daughter the Torah teaches her obscenity. Well, what does Jesus do? Well, in Luke 10, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed her into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. To sit at the feet of a rabbi was to be a disciple. And she wasn't one of the disciples, but she was a disciple. This was something that society wasn't down with. This was something that did not happen. It didn't happen. The Greeks would take this away from her. The, 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 the Romans would want to take this away from her. And the Jews would take this away from her. But Jesus says in verse 42, this will not be taken from her. I mean, this is off the charts, radical, in the face, raged against culture norms, which is why they killed him, by the way. Use feminine imagery for God. In an illustration, Luke 14, he was already trying to dig into how the Jews thought about sinners. So I'll just spice it up a little bit and, and, and image, give an analogy where God is like this woman searching for a coin. Jesus first appeared to women after the resurrection. According to Jewish and Roman law, women were not allowed to bear legal witness, yet Jesus appeared to women first anyway. This is significant, and here's why. There's this idea that the Bible was written by a bunch of men to maintain power. That is absurd if you know history. It, it's absolutely, completely said with an... Uh, unawareness of the context what the Bible is written. If you're trying to write something to make sure that, that male power stays there, you would not say in a culture where a, a woman's testimony wouldn't even be considered that the first people to witness the most significant event in history were two women, unless it happened, unless God wanted it to work out that way. That would be something that you'd race out. You wouldn't put in there that this, I, your rabbis are, no, no Greek leader, no Roman leader, no, no Jewish leader is supposed to teach women, but that's what he did. Yeah, that's, that's a good way to maintain male power. It's not how, it's not, it's just an unawareness of cult, uh, the, the cultural context. And then the church kicks in and, 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 and they had their issues, but man, they put this into to practice. And Paul writes in Genesis, uh, sorry, Galatians 3, for many as you who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek. And those are huge div dividing walls, neither slave nor free, nor male or female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Check this out, heirs. Wow, heirs. 
I thought it was just sons, and actually you had to be the firstborn son. Well, Jesus is the firstborn son of all creation. And if you are in Christ, male or female, you have everything he has. That is unbelievably radical. And then Paul honored, I know he gets a bad rap, honored women, wish I had time to go through all, all these women. Phoebe, she, prob, she was a leader, a partnership. She more than likely, she was the best. Um, we don't know for sure because we weren't there, but she's like at the top of the list in terms of who was the person who would go and read the letter to the Romans. So every letter that Paul wrote, he, someone had to go and deliver it and, and read it. Uh, Titus got the really bad one to the Corinthians, and, and, and she got the one which is the most difficult theologically, really, to, uh, the, mo- the richest theologically in the, in the New Testament. And she was the likely person to go deliver that letter, read it, and then stick around to answer any questions anyone had. And that Priscilla, Aquila, Priscilla being the woman, they taught this amazing teacher named Apollos a better way to teach. So what about 1 Corinthians 14? What does it mean? Well, let's first say what it doesn't mean. It cannot mean, it cannot mean that women are literally not allowed to speak in the church. Because just three chapters before, Paul gives uh, instruction how women are to speak in the church, how they are to pray and to prophesy. And, and in other letters, makes no reference to distinction between men and women about uh, uh, members serving and, and, and encouraging each other. So what could it mean? Well, here's something to understand. In that culture, and again, this is a cultural thing, it was disrespectful to ask questions during a teaching. It would be common among both Jewish rabbis and Greek philosophers to remain silent. So that was the way that you learned, is that you stayed silent. Now, silent doesn't mean putting a tape over your mouth, but it means like this, this position and this demeanor appropriate for learning. And so you have to understand, too, that, that in this culture, that men were decidedly more educated than women, just because women never, not because of capacity, just because they didn't have the opportunity. Um, and so you, that makes a lot of sense, A, why women would have a lot of questions in a learning environment, because they wouldn't know anything. Like Moses, Rahab, what are you talking about? Like, what, I've got some questions and they wouldn't be in learning environments to understand how those works. And it makes a lot of sense that their husband would know the answer because being more educated. Secondly, undoubtedly, you know, we're all mixed together, which is awesome. But undoubtedly, uh, men would be in this section and women would be in this section. Um, and so husbands and wives didn't sit together. Men would be over here. Women, in fact, in a lot of public gatherings, that's how it is today, actually. If you go to the Middle East, you'll see this commonly. Uh, even in churches, you'll see this, just because it's just the way men and women operate in that culture. And it certainly would have been in the way in this culture. So you would have women, you'd have a woman over here, hey, Fred, what does this mean over here? And understand the context. The context of 1 Corinthians 14 is order in a service. Like we're trying to, to preach the gospel, want everyone to be encouraged, and want to bring order. Corinthians was out of control. Uh, they were babbling on in tongues. They were getting drunk on the communion wine. And he's trying to bring order to this. He is not literally saying that women should not speak because that's totally against what he said in other places. Paul was not one to squelch women, but empower them in a culture that simply did not 
Like Jesus, he was raging against cultural norms as it relates to men and women. And at Jubilee, we want women to be empowered as well. I sat down recently um, with two uh, female leaders in our church, uh, Alyssa and, and Abby. For those who don't know Alyssa, she's a part of the McCutcheon dynasty. And, um, and she's an amazing communicator and, and leader and, and serves um, uh, we, uh, as a part of a leadership team in the, in the city. And she runs our growth track. She runs... Uh, she runs our next steps for, for new people and um, really looks out for volunteers and just incredible. Uh, Abby, as you know, uh, she's in this location and um, she, she's the one who is on the video. So she has, leads the, the uh, Deeply Rooted Conference as well as she's, uh, she's been in, in the corporate world. She's been in real estate. She's had several tours of duty uh, on staff at Jubilee and architect really a lot of things that we do and helps us think strategically about what we're up to. I, both, I respect them both uh, tremendously. And so I, I asked him a few questions. I wanna show you this video. Well, thanks Abby and Alyssa for taking the time to, to sit down with us and answer these questions. I just wanna to talk to you a little bit um, about um, just your experience as you were, I guess, growing up and, and becoming an adult. How did you view value? How did you view your value as a woman? What was your mindset? Well, it's interesting because we moved to St. Louis, you know, for my job. And so I, my desire was to quickly climb the corporate ladder. I had aspirations of vice president of the company that I was working for. And St. Louis was going to just be a stop on the way. Mm. Um, and so I think that I looked at my value probably through positions that I held or um, accomplishments that I achieved. If you looked at how I lived at that time, it was full of striving. I kept a notebook next to my bedstand because I would wake up in the middle of the night with ideas or stresses and write them down. Um, any chance I had, I was jumping on my laptop. It was very much a go mode. So I would say I did not live with rest. I did not live with peace. I did not live with a sense of great. I mean, I was, I knew and loved and followed Jesus. Um, but I didn't live in the like restfulness of being fully satisfied in the Lord or having my identity found in the Lord. Mm. How would you answer that question, Alyssa? I would tell my parents all the time that like, I just wanna be great at something. I'm okay at a lot of things, but there's nothing that is like mine. Like, so I wanted something special to point at that made me separate from other people. And as I've grown in my relationship with Jesus and been in the context of a family, the more that I have asked for God's help to see what He sees as valuable, yeah. that has shifted the expectation I've had on myself as an individual yeah. to be something valuable because I can point to something <laughs> that makes me special and separate and set apart and valuable mm. and it is solely the love of Jesus. So how have you seen or experienced value in the church? Like we have this thing that we want all people to know God, find family, yeah. discover purpose, make a difference. You know, Ephesians 2.10, before the foundation of the world, he's created anyone in Christ, male or female, uh, to walk in good work. So how have you seen that play out in your life? Yeah. So early on, having the opportunity to be invited to participate in different things, like seeing the gifts that God had given me that I was using in the corporate world where I was kind of building my own ladder, suddenly I had an opportunity actually to see like, oh God, you put these things in me actually for the good of the kingdom, for your glory. And so being able to participate 
in serving at Jubilee was very exciting. At the same time, God was kind of pulling back the layers, peeling the onion, showing me that I was finding my identity in other things. At the time, this was kind of a really pivotal moment. I was pregnant with either my third or fourth child, I'm not totally sure on the timing. And I was passing J-Kids along to someone else and it really caused a struggle in my heart. I remember the morning of our final training and I'm in tears thinking like, everyone's gonna realize I haven't done a good job, this next person's gonna do such a better job than I did. And what has felt like a piece of my value to, mm -hmm. to the church is now gonna be gone and I'm gonna just be at home. And I really struggled in a wise person, um, friend and brother came to me and said, let's just pause for a second. Even if that's true, we both know it's not, but even if that's true, does that change who you are in Christ? Mm -hmm. that's good. And I still, I still can tear up when I think of it because it was this pivotal moment where the Lord just broke in and said, this is how I see you as my daughter. Your worth is not based on anything that you do, anything that you accomplish um, in the church or out of the church, whatever it is, it is as my daughter. And it was this totally new layer of grace coming in deeper and truer. And I went into a season that was not as much activity um, and not as much participation. And yet it was probably um, one of the richer times in my walk with the Lord of really seeing the way that he was transforming um, how I saw myself in him. Mm. How would you answer that? Yeah, no, that's so good. I and mean, I love what you said just about with finding our value in Jesus will be in any area, inside the church, outside the church. And um, what I was saying before about the more I know God's heart and his heart toward me, so like that first part of our vision as a church of knowing God, I've actually found more of my discovering my purpose in the context of family. Yeah. So the church as a family. So a little story about my own personal family. I love my family. Uh, my parents are like a month apart and mm -hmm. they had their 60th birthday a couple of years ago. And um, we siblings wanted to do something special for them to celebrate them and make them feel loved. And so one, one of my brothers uh, had some travel points that he wanted to use to to bless them. So we started brainstorming together. Well, where should we send them? And then my other brother was like, well, I want to contribute to this. And we, we started to collectively make a plan of how we could bless them. And it wasn't about who was offering what to help them. Like there was no hierarchy of what was a more important way to bless them. Our shared goal was that they feel loved and blessed. Yeah. It wasn't a battle of what we did, but our shared goal was like, whatever I have to offer yeah. is is whatever is whatever blesses them the best. And so I think looking at the church as a family, mm. I have discovered more of my purpose delighting in delighting in the uniqueness of me and, and God's design. He has made me a, a woman who was born in 1990. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, he, it just however he has designed me, the more I've delighted in mm. my gifting. Actually, it's grown my confidence, helped me discover my purpose more. Mm. And that has shaped like that has been shaped within yeah. the yeah the, the context of a family both individual like as my immediate family and then the church as a family having a different role to play wow. what would you want the women of, of jubilee to know especially maybe some who might be skeptical of their value in the context of the church yeah 
I think first and foremost, we can't find our identity apart from God. And so I would just say, like, women run after Jesus. Like, know who he is, know him intimately, like, pursue your first love, because out of that is where we get our identity. Mm. And as we start to believe that we are called, we are chosen, we are set apart, like we are daughters, of the king from there, then we can operate in the good gifts that he's given us and the mm. good work he's prepared for us, no matter where that context is. And so I think from that, just to be able to um, flourish and to grow and to really walk out um, in the peace and the quietness that comes when you're secure in who Christ has made you. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to say as a single woman to the single women in our church who may have that question, where do I fit in? And maybe are waiting for situations in my life to look differently in order to experience as if there's deeper levels of gifting based on situations or that God is holding back something from me because of how my life looks. And so with that confidence in who God has made me to be, the more confident I am in His love for me and how He has gifted me. The less I'm looking to the left and the right and seeing if what I am doing is valuable or respectable because I'm confident in what He is calling me to do. I mean, when my identity solely is in how Jesus views me, that is the thing that never changes. Mm -hmm. It never changes. Mm -hmm. And so even as my life changes or what I do changes or as my situation or relationship status in life changes, yeah. that does not and that holds steady through, through everything. Mm. So good. Well, thank you very much to you both for taking the time yeah. just to, to share your life and share your thoughts. And, and thank you so much for how you serve in the church and leading and communicating and helping others and, and drawing everyone into what God has for us as a community. Thanks for yeah, having us. Yeah, that's great. It's great. Hey, why don't we stand? We are a family and we, uh, we want our, our sisters to be valued. And if you're here and you're, uh, you, you have a gift or you've, you're wondering if your gift would be included, I just want to say it absolutely will and we'll call you forward. And, and we want to uh, be a part of, of really kickstarting that, that miracle God wants to do um, in your life. And I, I want to just end a bit differently than I thought I would. I mean, to be honest with you, I was kind of hoping they, they, Alyssa and Abby would say some other th things or say different things. I was hoping they would say how awesome it is at Jubilee and how, the, how much space there is for their gifts and how amazing Brian is to always kind of cheerlead us on in our gifts. Uh, but uh, they weren't looking at the cue cards and uh, they, did, they, they did something else. And they didn't talk about me. They didn't talk about how great Jubilee is. They talk about how great Jesus is. And um, it made me think of really the, the bigger story of humanity that was ruined the day that we rebelled and the curse that was replaced where there was blessing. And I thought about what changes that curse to blessing? How do we get back? What does this look like? And I was thinking about kind of an odd story to end a talk like this, but in John chapter five, um, there's a story about this lame man who, was, who wanted to be well. He, he, had, he hadn't been able to walk for 38 years and he just felt like at the bottom and, and was devalued. And um, Jesus comes along and 
what do you want me to do for you? And well, there's this idea that if, if I get into the pool, when the pool begins to stir, if the water begins to stir, then, then, I, then I'll be made well, but I can never get there. I don't, ha- I don't know anyone. I don't have any connections. I, can't, I don't have anyone to put me in the water. He's like, Jesus, will you help me win at this system? Will you help me? I, I want to be somebody. Will you help me win this system? Will you help me get in the water? And I can just imagine Jesus saying, son, I am the water. I can show you a shortcut to what your heart really wants. And that's for every man, boy, woman, child, Jew, Gentile, everyone. This invitation to him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He said in John 12, if I be lifted up, I will call men and women to myself. That, by the way, that's not saying if we have a really rowdy worship service and really put Jesus's name on a billboard or something, then people will be drawn to him. What it says is he was saying when I'm lifted up on a tree. That's how the curse is broken. That's how the blessing flows. And he wants to give that to you today. You feel excluded. You feel on the outside. You feel like something's missing. Don't ask, help me win my system. You're standing in front of the way, the truth, and the life. And he wants to restore not just what you asked for, but everything broken in your life. Jesus, we just thank you for being the one that all, although our enemy bruised your heel, that you would ultimately crush the head of Satan, sin, and death. We're sorry for our rebellion and sin, and we see you as life and life and evermore. I just pray, God, would we, we want to, we want to be a community that reflects as much as we possibly can your original intent for male and female. Help us, mold us, shape us, correct us, make us different, make us better.